0: I'm Siri Lindley, two-time world champion, author, speaker, animal activist, survivor, and thriver. I have found a way to overcome every challenge and to take the impossible and make it possible. On my podcast, we're going to talk real life. We're going to get vulnerable. We're going to go first. You're not alone in your fears, your doubts, or your worries. The most successful people in the world have them. Stick with me on this journey. I will help you harness your power, claim your magic, and create the life that you dream of. Hello everyone and welcome to the Bedhead Chronicles. I have been so excited for today's guest, Heather Moise. She is a four-time Olympian, two-time Olympic gold medalist in bobsled. And she is known to be Canada's all-time best all-around athlete why you're just a badass heather but let me say she (laughs) has she is in the world cup or sorry world rugby hall of fame oh my god also raced internationally in track cycling also something very close to my heart heather you climbed the highest uh mountain in antarctica in order to raise awareness for PTSD and veterans, which is very close to my heart. So Heather, welcome. Sorry, that was a very long intro, but (laughs) so deserving. And thank you for being here with us.
1: Oh, I'm so happy. I'm so happy to be joining you today. This is great.
0: Uh, So Heather, where did it all start? Like I've read a lot about your story, but I'd love to hear it from you because this didn't all start when you were like 15 years old and you wanted to go to the Olympics. No, please tell us. No, we
1: could not. Um, I grew up in the smallest province in Canada. Um, it is accessible only by plane or 13 kilometer bridge, which when I was growing up was actually a 45 minute ferry ride. So we were pretty isolated from the rest of the country. Um, and I grew up in a, I played sports my whole life, but it was always just for fun. I always considered it to be extracurricular to what I was going to do to earn a living. Um, so I didn't really take it seriously. I also grew up in a very academic family. So I pursued a career and a master's degree in occupational therapy. Um, I guess there was nobody around me training to go to the Olympics or training to represent our, our country at some big event. So it wasn't that I actively didn't think I could do it. It was just that it never occurred to me because Olympians, those are TV people. Those aren't everyday normal people like I considered myself to be. So I just, you know, didn't really cross my mind. And we didn't really watch a lot of sports growing up on TV. So it wasn't like I idolized these events or dreamt of going to these events or, you know, there wasn't a lot of female representation back then anyway, but I mean, even for the Olympics, like we just didn't, you know, we watched occasional events, but nothing really to, to sit there and start like elevating these events. And I played sports, like I said, growing up, and then I played three different sports at university. And still, I never started taking sports seriously and lifting weights at all until I was 27 years old, at which time I was suddenly faced with this challenge of seeing if I could learn a new sport, the sport of bobsledding, if I could learn to do it well, and if I could learn to do it well in time to compete at the next Olympic Games and represent my country, which was less than five months later. So for me, it had nothing to do with the sport because I hadn't even been in a bobsled. I hadn't even been down the track. I had to make this decision. Was I going to put my master's degree on hold for one year just to try this challenge? It was had nothing to do with the sport and absolutely everything to do with this challenge that a lot of people thought was very implausible and highly unlikely. And I guess that's just where I started developing that philosophy that highly unlikely does not mean impossible. And I just I just loved the challenge of, yeah, sure, it it might, I might not make it, but I sure as hell want to see how close I can get. So it was kind of just this, can I do it? Okay. Yeah.
0: That is so inspiring because so many people have these stories that they're living by, you know, I'm too old or mm-hmm. I've never been exposed to this sport or no, that's for them, not me. And it's these stories. But so what was a catalyst? Did someone come to you and say, yeah, okay, please tell us that. Yeah
1: so it was uh well first someone tried to recruit me four years before so i would have been 23. um i was 22 i guess when he called he made the phone call and i got a call it was someone who had been a track coach at a different university and he just he had been asked to do recruiting for eastern canada and he just said you are the the you just popped into my mind you have the in his opinion he thought i had the ideal combination between strength and speed And he just said, and I said, who does bobsledding? I'm no, I'm good. Like, I'm, I'm good. Thanks. And he said, are you kidding? Like, I know who's in the program. You'd be going to the Olympics for sure. You'd either, you'd be an Olympian. And you could tell by that reaction that that had always been a dream of his, but it hadn't been a dream of mine. So I realized then that sometimes people impose their expectations or their hopes and their value of things on other people because they had always wanted to do it had always wanted to do that but and they can't understand how someone else might not also have the same you know the same drive or desire and so I had always at the time I had always wanted to work in a developing country and I had just accepted an internship position to work in Trinidad and Tobago so I was working down there as a disability sports program officer and I was doing what I wanted to do I was I was pursuing my my dream not what society deemed as being successful or as being important um and I was uh yeah doing exactly what I wanted to do and I lived down there for three I worked down in Trinidad and Tobago for almost three years I moved back to Canada to do my master's degree um and one year into that two-year professional program I ran into that same recruiter at my former track coach's retirement party and he just kind of wouldn't let up he said I can't believe you didn't do it last time you know you would have been Olympian and then he said I still think you could do it I know you're older now so it'd be a lot harder Mm -hmm. he said that
0: (laughs) oh god
1: yeah I know anyway he said I know it'd be a little harder now but I still think you could do it um you should definitely he was just go like kind of like anyway I'll call it persistent instead of annoying but um (laughs) I finally agreed to do the testing. So I just said, I'm not really gonna do this, but I'll do the testing camp. And so I did the testing camp and I ended up breaking one of their testing records. So now I missed the first day of testing because I was playing, I was in the nationals for rugby, rugby nationals. Um, and they, they, you know, the bobsled team said, okay, because it's nationals, you can miss that first day. And fortunately for me, that was all weight, weightlifting testing. And I'd never lifted weights before. So fortunately I missed it because I wouldn't have told anyone. I would have just tried to copy what other people were doing, (laughs) of course, as safe as that would have been. And the next day was all speed work and like sprinting through timing lights with weighted sleds and um, plyos and bounding, like all this explosive power stuff. Still tests I had never done before, but at least I wasn't going to crush myself with a bar. So I, you know, I did this testing and I ended up breaking one of their main, the record for one of their main tests. And I was like, wait a second, you mean to tell me I've broken a record amongst all of these athletes who've been training for years and who are supposed to be representing us in the next Olympics in five months. So all of a sudden it was like, I wonder if I can do this. Can I, can I actually learn a new sport, learn to do it well and learn to do it well in time to compete for my country. And that was so again, like I didn't fall in love with the sport because I hadn't done it yet. (laughs) I, I fell in love with the challenge. And then I realized that my whole life I'd kind of been doing things and like outwardly kind of appearing to be following sort of a successful path, but it was all sort of on autopilot. I was literally making decisions, choosing like making my own choices, but really just choosing within the boundaries of my direct environment of my direct exposures. What is what I'm so passionate about now when I'm working with people, when I'm speaking, when I'm doing all these things, it is to, to, to one, to start questioning our assumptions, to start challenging our limiting beliefs and to, you know, look beyond the boundaries of, of our own limitations. Like, yeah, beyond what we've defined ourselves as beyond like how others have defined us because there's, there's a whole world of opportunity beyond that.
0: Oh my God. It's- That's how it started. It's so incredibly powerful. At what point, or did it ever become your dream? Like, yeah, it was the recruiter's dream, but did it ever become your dream or was a dream just taking on this thing, this challenge that you'd never even thought about, but maybe there is something here. Was that the dream or did you ever really connect to it and say, I am doing exactly what I'm meant to be doing?
1: I think that uh, it was never my dream. I did four Olympic games for bobsledding, won two Olympic gold medals, but each of those four Olympic games presented me with four very different challenges. So it was still the challenge that I loved and was fueled by, and the more unlikely an outcome seemed, the more I was motivated to try it. And. Which also led to me being able to help clients reframe how they set their goals instead of it being a binary outcome in terms of success or failure, achieved it or I did not achieve it, setting big, these lofty, ambitious, wildly goals, like helping them stretch these goals even bigger and looking at that as a spectrum and just enjoying the challenge of seeing how close you can get to that, because it's, that's the only way you'll ever discover what you're truly capable of is if you get to the point where you can't go any further. And so by embracing that and saying, you know what? Yeah, I might not go there, but I'm actually doing something that I enjoy doing something that I love. So just because I don't get to the alt like to this, like way up here, would I really rather be doing something else? Or am I actually just enjoying this whole process of challenging myself to see how close I can get, to see how good you can be, to see how good, you know, how far you can go, to see what level you can get to. It's it's been pretty remarkable when I help people reframe that and it kind of had this, oh, I never, never would have thought about it that way before. So it's been, it's been a blessing to have not really started until later, because I I've kind of entered the sports world with a whole different pers- like the the elite sports world, like this high performance world. Um, from a whole different perspective Um, and it's it would have probably been very different had I been training as a teenager and plucked up as some prodigy and kind of trained like been trained and drilled and whatever I mean my burnout might have been a lot earlier like I would have had a totally different perspective I would have probably been doing things because of expectations and not necessarily choices now just because I didn't I mean I enjoyed bobsledding and I enjoyed being on a tour and those sorts of things. But I wouldn't say that was the, like the sport that I love to do, but I did love, and I mean, I know that sounds crazy because I have two Olympic gold medals for that, but I just loved the challenge. And the more, again, when I had hip surgery and people didn't think I could come back, that was fun to come back from when I was 35 and coming back, like, again, that was, that was fun to come back from. When I was 39 in my last Olympics and I still tested as the fastest breakman in the country, that was fun to come back from. And and not because it was me elevating me, but every time I did something, I knew it was helping other people yes. break down barriers that they had set for themselves every single time. Yes. So you asked me if I if I was doing what I was meant to be doing. Um, I think that bobsledding a sports has afforded me the platform from which I am now Able to do what I am meant to be doing. Does that make sense?
0: It makes it just makes perfect yeah. sense. It, everything yeah. happened exactly how it was meant to. And you're so right. It people see themselves in you, and they see what's possible for them. I think the biggest thing that holds people back, and I share kind of your passion for facing a challenge and wanting to, you know, just prove to myself yeah. that that I can do these things when people say I can't, or I say I can't, or my old story tells me I can't. But there's so many people that really struggle with challenge. And Mm -hmm. the way you framed it, the way I frame it has really served us, but what is your advice to people that kind of shrink under challenge, that back away under challenge? How do you get people to embrace it like you have so they too can step into their power and see what they're truly capable of.
1: I think part of it is talking a little bit about no regrets in hindsight. Um, Sometimes making your choices, I mean we all come to forks in the road and we have these choices to make, but instead of making it based on the best case scenario of each, make it based on the worst case scenario of each. If I choose this way and it doesn't work out the way I want versus if I choose this way and it doesn't work out the way I want. Now that's not saying it's not going to, But that's just saying which path is right for you means if you base it on the worst case scenario, then you're actually choosing the path that you want to be on, not based on some, some possible outcome. And then it means you're enjoying that challenge and the journey along the way instead of, you know, just because some outcome might be possible. So, for example, um, if if someone were working really, really hard to go to the Olympics, for example, doing a four-year cycle, and then someone else came in the year of and took their spot, or they got an injury a month out, or if someone was working really hard going through a degree because they wanted one position, they, their, their dream job, and someone else came in right before they landed this job or you know, going through all these different stages and all of a sudden something came up and they couldn't get it. Well, would you have chosen something else to do over those last four years? Or would you still have chosen that? And then if so, the outcome is, I mean, yes, it can be disappointing, but it, that loss is irrelevant if you wouldn't have changed anything anyway. So if you start making your choices based on having no regrets um, at the end, like no, meaning no excuses, like call it, learning to call out your own excuses so that you have no little voice of doubt in your mind when you're stepping up to make that presentation, that's going to land you the, the client. I mean, there's only so much that's in our control. So as long as we can do everything that's in our power to be the best that we can be at that moment when it counts or to do everything that we can to achieve a result that we hope to achieve, that we want to achieve, then we really can't control what somebody else does, how they've prepared, what equipment they have, what training they have, what they had for breakfast that morning. Like you really can't control any of that stuff. So you just have to be at peace with whatever result you get because you know there's nothing more you could have done to be better at that moment. So that's a lot of times looking at that, it's also helping people reframe where their fear comes from. And if, um, and those challenges, sometimes it's not so much the challenge, it's the, the thought of not over, like not getting through that challenge. So they literally freeze up and don't even attempt the challenge. Like there are more people that don't actually try to do the things that they want, because they don't want to say that they didn't make it. Yeah. But regret doesn't come from like later when you're 70, 80, regret doesn't come from you not achieving something you tried. It comes from not trying something that you had always wanted to do. Whether that's a bucket list trip, whether that is um, t- applying for this job that you always wanted, but you convinced yourself you weren't qualified enough, whether it's not asking that person out and the two realizing later that the two of you stayed single for your entire life, like whatever it is, right. It is, it's the regret of not trying. That is what you regret. It's not the trying and, 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 and potentially not getting all the way. It's really quite, it's quite interesting when you talk to some people about where that stuff comes from. And also we assume way too many things. We assume if we could just, just, if all your listeners, viewers could just start questioning their assumptions. So you out there who's listening, start questioning your assumptions. We assume way too many things. Like, like I said, we assume that that person is, must be taken because they're just, you can't imagine anyone not be wanting to be with them. So you just don't even ask them. Yeah. You, you assume that you're not qualified enough, but then you realize, that nobody else applied for the job or the promotion. You, we assume that, well, so-and-so is probably too busy to go because they've, you know, they've got kids so they're not gonna be able to to join us. Or we assume that it's sold out because it's some big event. So might as well not even look to see if there are tickets still available. We just, if we call out our own excuses and call out our own assumptions, we would be so much further.
0: Absolutely. I totally I agree. And it's just getting curious in those moments and saying, is this really true?
1: Yeah,
0: do, it do is. Do I have proof that this is really true? And what is this keeping me from? If I believe this, what's it, what's it keeping me from? And yeah. I totally agree. It's that regret of not trying when that fear gets in the way where you don't even give it a shot. Like that to me is just tragic. And I love what you kind of, Um, touched upon which is almost if somebody comes to me and says I've got this huge goal but it seems impossible but whether I fail or succeed I'm going to go for it and in those moments it's like well think about the worst case scenario the worst possible thing that could happen are you will you survive that will you be willing to go through that yes and if the answer is yes then it's like okay well then let's go mm-hmm. and you can't set out that and and you're so right in in my sport triathlon some of the greatest athletes that ever competed were athletes that came in hadn't really done the sport but came in and pretty much right away they became gold medalists the best in the sport Sorry, I'm going on a lot of things here. There's so much great stuff That's there. okay. <laughs> but, but Heather, you know, I feel, do you feel like part of it is when, when we start young, when we make something the be all end all, and usually in that case, it's because of what your parents want or your teachers want, or what you think is a cool thing to do, or what would be, you know, make you popular, help you be loved and that be all end all that pressure is somewhat debilitating but for you it was expansive
1: but but for me it was a blessing that I did not grow up watching sports on tv really so they weren't elevated like I hadn't elevated this idea of the olympic games in my brain um now my joy still somewhat downplayed it in like and just was just like, it's just a normal race. It's just, I'm racing against the same people I've always raced against. So that's, that's it, I, it's true. It's a track. It's like every, all my equipment's the same. But when I first, when I first had my, my very first bobsled race, world cup race, um, I was with my teammate, we got to the bottom and, and after our four runs and one of our coaches is like crying, he's tearing, he's like hugging her, like all this stuff. And I was like, dude, like we just, we came th- like, we did. Okay. But we came third. Like, it's not really a crying, but like, I don't, anyway, I found out later that my teammate who was my driver, um, she hadn't broken into the top eight before and she'd been competing for years. So I was like, oh, okay. But why suddenly I started thinking like, why was I like, why, why is this such a big deal? And then I realized that ignorance in a way is bliss. Yes. If, I had no idea we were competing. It never occurred to me. The whole thing happened so fast after getting recruited and coming in. I'm just trying to keep my head down and learn how to do a new sport, trying to earn a spot. And I only have a certain number of races to earn a spot for the Olympics. Like I'm literally just trying to keep it all together. And I had no time to even realize that we were competing against other former Olympic champions, other world champions, um, you know, that that Germans automatically have better equipment like I didn't have time to think about that stuff I all I knew was that I was competing against other girls didn't matter they were just girls girls from other countries so they were all going we're all going after the same thing so someone's got to win why can't it be us like that kind of mentality and without realizing that I was competing against people who were so elevate like you know these world champions and olympic champions they were just other girls against whom I was competing and so I didn't have that extra added pressure of trying to compete against these crazy, phenomenal women. It was just do my job, like execute, do my job. Remember every step that has to happen along the way in order to do it. And so without getting distracted by expectations and by, you know, elevating things and aggrandizing certain situations, um, it was easier to stay focused on the things I needed to do. And so, I mean, part of the strategies that I work with, with clients sometimes is minima, like is lessening the importance of certain events yes. and downplaying it yes. to put yourself at the right, you know, that optimal level of adrenaline, yeah. optimal level of arousal to achieve your peak performance. It's helping people try and figure that out, especially when they're in team sports, yeah. where they, they have those big pump up talks, you know, the big like rah, 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 this is the only game, this is the game that matters. We've worked for this. This is the all important, like, this is the one. Well, no, it's not. You should be saying the same game that you've always played just do the same thing you've done in every other game because that is going to pump up some people and then other people maybe even the best players on your team are all of a sudden going to be past that peak performance their adrenaline is going to be so far along that spectrum they're going to be so nervous all the pressures on them this is the only thing that matters this is the, everyone's relying on you that they all of a sudden make mistakes they've never made before and that's not even just in sports that's in doing pitches and presentations for business, that's doing speaking engagements, that's standing up, anything, anything that is of importance to us, we have to learn how to manage our our adrenaline and keep things in perspective to kind of be able to execute the things that we're physically able to execute. So, yeah. So
0: powerful. So my listeners are made up of wide variety of- Love it. I do have a lot of professional athletes that mm-hmm. will be watching this, and yes. I, I I, want to, this ignorance is bliss, this just show <laughs> up and execute, do what you have mm-hmm. to do, do what you do every single day, just execute, and, but for somebody that maybe has been doing this for a long time, and mm-hmm. it does matter, and it is their everything, and they do get pissed if somebody comes in, and they just start in, they get beat by them, you know, how can they turn it around now to get into that mindset of ignorance is bliss? How can they adjust their focus, their perspective, or reframe the challenge to start shifting to that attitude that will see them truly being able to tap into their fullest potential?
1: Yeah. So putting ignorance is bliss in context. I mean, I don't mean in generally in life and social situations and stuff. No, but here talk it's here, I totally. And also in terms of like you do want to do your homework for your sport, right? If you, especially if it's a if you're in a team sport, you want to do your homework to know the strengths and weaknesses of the other team. But instead, that's it's that's all you need to know. It's almost like I just need to know that. So I need to know how to do my job and you need to kind of break down that job. So people talk about push start records all the time in bobsledding. And I just said, well, yeah, we had, we had push start records on tracks all around the world, but not once did I stand at the starting line thinking about, okay, okay. I want to just, I to push fast. I just have to, what does that mean? Like, so it was literally broken down into the execution of the timing of falling into the sled and hitting off the block at the same time as my driver, the actual positioning of the first three power steps on the ice, because depending on where they fall on the ice, I've either broken my stride if I've stepped too far or I'm stutter stepping. If I'm not either way, I've lost hundreds of a second. Yeah. Then it's about transitioning from a power phase to a more transition phase as you crest over the hill and gain speed. And then I'm still not thinking of a start record, but the last two power steps that I take off the ice almost like a triple jumper, a long jumper to get myself in the sled with the fastest velocity I can possibly give it. Now it's, so people have to get themselves in the mindset of kind of this, no regrets equals no excuses. So to have no regrets, like you can't, it's almost like this little mantra. you, You can't control other people. You can't control if someone better than you suddenly starts in. You can only control whether you are the best that you can actually be at the time. You can't control what equipment they have over the equipment that your federation has given you or that you've been able to afford you can only prepare yourself the best that you can and that is that is the only way that you won't get caught up in something is not fair something is you know it's the same thing i didn't i didn't try i didn't train my ass off just to beat other good people i had to train my ass off to beat other people who also were potentially cheating right yeah. you have to be and you have to be okay with 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 what where things are and with how things where the chips fall at the end And the only way that you can do that is if you can literally stand at the starting line and then at the finish line and just know that you have done everything you can to be the best that you can be at that point, because you cannot control anybody else.
0: Boom, boom, and boom. This is like, I mean, preach. This is, this is it. And you're it's
1: a it's a it's a really cool thing to wrap your head around. And it's the same thing as taking days off, right? As an athlete, you know that sometimes you have to take a day off so that your training actually improves for the rest of the week. So you haven't shot yourself. For me, it was mostly my nervous system. So occasionally I would, my trainer would be like, you gotta go home. You're you will do a stretch, but you gotta, and I'll be like, I can't, what like this is the Olympic season. What do you mean? And he told me a train, one training session is not going to make your Olympics, but one could break your Olympics and it could literally waste the rest of the week. Now, that being said, we're very good at lying to ourselves, very good at lying to ourselves. So you need to be as honest with yourself as possible so that you have no voice of doubt that creeps in just as you're stepping up to that starting line. Like you'll know, you're the only person who knows. So if you go and take a, a, like a, a day off, because you know it's going to be actually better for your training and it is, is the right decision to get you to the end. You take a day off then and you still don't make the Olympic team or whatever, you can still look back at that decision and have no regrets. But you take a day off because it's May 2-4 weekend and it's caught it like some caught, you know, someone's birthday up at the cottage and you take the, that day off at of training, you miss that, that qualification to get on that team And that one training session could potentially haunt you forever being like, shit, I wonder if that, I I wonder if that kind of all of a sudden dipped my nervous system or I didn't activate it. And so maybe it felt like you could, you just to have no regrets means you have no excuses. And whether that means going up to cottage country and pushing a car down the lane, because that's what you're doing for training, like whatever you need to do to, to at least own your choices and make sure that you will have no regrets That is the only way that you can be at peace with with whatever happens.
0: Yeah. Oh, my God. So true. And it's the meaning we give things like a day off. You know, some people say, oh, my God, I'm going to lose everything in one day off. And I always tell my athletes that it's actually the strong thing to do is to have a day off. It's not weak, have a day off. It's the strong. No.
1: And if you reframe even that and say, it's not a day off, it's a recovery day that makes it a little more intentional to your outcome yes. than just a day off. This isn't a day off. This is actually a recovery day. So this is helping towards like, even if you just change the wording for that and said, no, I'm not giving you a day off. I'm giving you a recovery day because a recovery day will actually help you in the long run. Then that will, that's just a whole different, it's so strange. Like language is so important to us and language is is so visceral. Like we can say things, whether we say it in our minds, whether we say it out loud, whether we hear it, it is so our bodies, no, our bodies are so, it's crazy and it really and is.
0: That is, it's so true. I mean, even the difference between I have to train today versus uh, I get to train. I have two arms, mm-hmm. two legs, strong heart, the will, the determination, the that. Power. I mean that's huge. I love
1: I love that you said that because we were literally sitting in the star house before. So bobsledding, for Bob sledding at the Olympics, it's four runs. It's two runs over two, like four runs over two days. And on the second day we were sitting in first, we had one run to go. And I just looked at my teammate and I said, Okay, we can go now. And she said, like you could literally cut the tension in that house with a knife. Like it was insane. And she's like, what are you talking about? And I just said, she's like, she's looking at me like I have seven heads. And I said, yeah, we can, we can, do you want me to grab your stuff? Like we can go now. She's like, what? I said, I just wanted to remind you that we can go. We don't have to do this. Like we don't, we, there could be, th- there are thousands of people, there are millions of people watching this right now, but we do not have to stay. We don't have to stay. We don't have to race. We don't have to do any of this, but. We don't have to set a start record. We want to set a Yes. We don't have to set a track record. We want to set a track record. We don't, we don't have to win an Olympic medal. We want to win this. So let's go and do something we want to do. And it takes all of a sudden, it takes the pressure. Like it, it by changing that word from, I ha- we have to, oh my gosh, we have to, like, we have to go do this. We have to, you know, no, we don't, we, we don't have to do anything. And people are like, oh yeah, well, you know, you can't make, it's a reminder that you, your entire life is you get to choose what you do. Now, it may not feel like a choice only because the consequence on one side is not desirable, but we still have a choice. And maybe by remembering that the alternative is not great, and then we get to choose this, it is re-empowering and it dissipates a little bit of that pressure. You know that we're putting on ourselves being like no we're cho- we are actually choosing to do this so whether we're being watched by millions of people or not we're choosing to put ourselves out there and do this because we want to see what happens
0: and yeah. this this goes for every moment in life you know you every moment first. you get to go first in deciding what to focus on what meaning to give something what action to take or not take and to me Knowing that just makes me feel, you know, so at ease that, okay, like this is a gift. This is an opportunity. This is because we get to choose, but the language thing, everybody listening, this is so powerful. So take notes. It's just so incredible. Let's talk about fear. And, and I bring that in. Let's, let's talk about fear and the meaning we give it or Mm -hmm. the language we use to describe it because one thing I thought for you, not having done the bobsled before, I mean, to me, it seems pretty freaking scary. I mean, it's like you're going on this like lightning fast roller coaster. I mean, was there any fear or, or did you not? Was it have you always liked going a million miles an hour, you know, with the possibility of crashing?
1: No, it was never like I, I'm not really, believe it or not, like I'm not really an adrenaline junkie. I don't, I don't seek out these crazy fast things. Um, I, I just, it was solely the challenge. And I loved the challenge of, of my position as a brakeman of figuring out ways to shave off hundreds of a second when I pushed. Um, and that was it. Like, I really am not some adrenaline junkie and it is, now fear is a real is a real thing. Like there was, um, it was really funny because I we were doing some training runs at the very beginning. And we initially train indoors and there's a, like an indoor ice house facility. So so you just kind of jump it, you throw on a helmet, just put it on just safety rules and stuff like that, and you go down the track. So then all of a sudden we move to the real track, like outside, up the mountain, to go down and we're doing training runs and I think I had done two runs and and then I came up and I was going to do a third run with my with my driver and she just turned around and looked at me and she goes oh you forgot to do up your helmet and I was like oh my god we need to do how do you do up your we need to do up your helmets and she goes you've done two runs down the bobsled track without your helmet done up and I was like I didn't know we I didn't know we had to and she goes Heather, what if we crashed? And I go, you can crash. Like, I didn't even, it never, never even occurred to me that you could crash. Nobody had crashed there yet while I was there. And I'd never really paid much attention besides cool runnings, which I thought was movie. Like it's all just the a best. movie, right? Yes. So, yeah. Yeah. So I just couldn't, I couldn't, it was, and all of a sudden it kind of, all that put a fear in my brain. Like, oh my goodness, we, I could have, we, I could have crashed. We could have crashed. Um, but then I kind of got over it and I was like, okay. Unfortunately for me, I actually, because I started off fast, I was with better drivers right from the beginning. Um, and, but there was a crash. There were certain tracks that made me nervous. And really it was only because of how other athletes spoke of those tracks. And if they have, if this track has a reputation of, of being like, really rough and having really bad crashes and injuries and stuff from these things that instilled in me a fear of something that was that that shouldn't have you know that shouldn't have affected me so I mean depending on your the skill of your driver depending on the track yeah there were certain tracks that constantly made me nervous and I had to and even after crashing once Um, I remember having a lot of trouble sleeping, like a lot of trouble because I kept my brain just kept playing scenarios. Well, if that does, it happens again. Do I, should I eject? Should I just hold on? Like, if it's so rough, I don't know if I'd be able to hold on the whole way. What if that happened? Like all of these different scenarios play out in your brain. And it's just this constant reel that just, you can't whatever. And I had to finally just have a little chat with myself and just say, okay, Heather crashing is part of the sport. The possibility of crashing is part of the sport. Am I okay with it? Am I I okay with crashing? Knowing that most people crash all the time and are fine. Very rarely does someone actually get injured besides some bruises and, you know, stiffness. But am I okay with that? Because if I'm not, even if I do choose to keep going, if I don't accept that, I will inadvertently subconsciously hesitate I'll pull back on the sled when I'm getting in without actually thinking about it I will not perform at my my job is to get that sled going as fast as possible with the fastest velocity I can give it so if I'm nervous or not accepting of certain consequences possibilities that could happen I will sabotage it somehow without actually even consciously realizing I'm doing so so I had to accept
0: it I, I love this so much. And it's a matter of in those moments, I mean, think about the thousands of times where you didn't crash. Like why do we dwell on that one time, you know, maybe it's horseback riding that one time you fell off your horse. What about 10,000 times that you didn't like. Yeah. And part of it is also
1: telling you, that you have a choice. Like Heather, I, you have a choice. If you are nervous to do that, just, own it and just say, okay, I'm done. I do not want to keep doing bobsledding and that's okay. Yes. But if you, but you also need, I need to also know that if I choose not to do that, if I choose to take that direction, it also means that I won't be, have the possibility of winning a medal for my country. I also won't, it was more so for me, it wasn't so much about the medal. It was, um, it wasn't like inspiring people from small towns, like where I'm from, to do these big things. And I'm just like, okay, so if I stop, then what, like then what, what am I sending out there? And where's my, what's my platform and what's, you know, all that stuff in terms of being able to empower people. And so there was a lot that kind of pushed me through changes, especially when you know your root why not just your surface, why, when you kind of get down to your root why for doing something, your breaking point for things moves further down the spectrum and you're able to handle a whole lot more. Um, And I think that's, that's a really important message, but also acknowledging that with fear, if you acknowledge fear, doesn't mean you have to handle it head on, you have a choice, but every choice, you're actually not choosing the choice, you're choosing the consequence of those choice and, and looking at how far down the road, both of those choices could go. So,
0: but this whole lesson on how you handled fear, when you think about life, I mean, life is never a straight line. Life is never you know, guaranteed joy and rainbows and butterflies. The more we do this in our pursuits, the more we face it head on and accept the fact that these things may happen, but I'm accepting that and I realize that and it's not gonna hold me back. It's not gonna slow me down. It's not gonna make me second guess because I'm going all in. But the more you (laughs) do that in your pursuits, the better set up you are for life and yeah. the inevitable obstacles, challenges that come our way.
1: Well, so many people are afraid of failure, yeah. but it's actually not failure that we fear. It's what we assume failure will bring. Mm-hmm. And so failure itself is kind of a moot point. Like it's, it, it is what it is, but we, we assume failure will bring rejection isolation, ridicule, separation from people. We like just being alone, being kind of isolated. That's really what we fear. We fear other people's reactions. We fear that that, like if really, I mean, that's why a lot of people keep their goals to themselves so that they're not, if they don't, if they fail, then if they fail, if they don't make it that first time or that second time or that third time, they do not have to have any reactions from some of those people. So fortunately for me, I think one of the best gifts my family gave me was that I keep saying, well, they didn't care. They didn't like, they cared about me. They didn't care about sports, really. They, they, you know, didn't matter what I was pursuing as long as I was pursuing something that I, that I enjoyed. And that I, you know, and it was really just that they provided this. I grew up with a safety net of, and I I don't not mean financially, I mean, a safety net of unconditional love where it didn't matter what I was doing. Yeah. It meant who I was. Like my parents said a long time ago, they've never coached. Well, one, they weren't really into sports, but they, they wouldn't coach me. They said, it's not, they wouldn't interfere. They wouldn't tell me that I should stand closer to the net or they wouldn't say anything about, about my sports because they said, I'm not raising an athlete. I'm raising a huge, like a, I'm raising a good human being. So for them, it was more about character, integrity, Um, kindness, like how I was treating other people, how I was respecting my coach, how I was respecting my opponents, all of those things. That's what they cared about. Like the only time that they would ever, I don't know, like kind of get down on me after watching like the end of a practice when picking me up had nothing to do with the fact that I just missed the last four baskets I tried to hit or whatever. It would have everything to do with me talking to my friends at the back and not listening to the coach. So it was, you know, for me, having that safety net of knowing that they were just there supporting my pursuits, not just because of an, of an outcome or an accomplishment, I remember my very first bobsled race. My my parent, my mom said, like this was literally a month after I started or two months after I started. I was like, oh my goodness, and my parents, mom told me that they were going to buy tickets to come out and watch the first race, and I said, mom can I don't even know if I'm racing. Like, I'm just, I'm just because I'm on the team. I'm an alternate. Like, I don't know if I'm going to be racing and that's an expensive ticket. And she said, how do you should know by now that we're not coming up to watch you? We're coming up to support you. Yes. And that quote, like that parental moment or friend moment, whatever that was that, that sentence, if that sentence could be said by more parents, by more friends, by more people, I'm not coming to watch you, I'm coming to support you. I don't care, like whether you're sitting on the bench or whatever, whether you're on this team because you just love being part of a team, you don't actually want to be playing on the field or playing on the, I don't, I'm coming because I love you and I'm supporting.
0: Okay, so. I think parents, we'd have a lot. And parents, yeah. listening. I mean, this is so, so powerful. Like I was blessed, my first coach said something similar. She said, Siri, I care so much more about who you are as a human being than what you accomplish in the sport. And that changed everything because I think underneath fear, you know, the fear of failure, it all boils down to the fear of not being loved. Yes. And that's 100%. every single human being's greatest fear. So parents, coaches, even listen to this. I mean, to, set your kids up to know that you love them no matter what, that that you're there because you want to support them. You want to see them achieve their dreams. That's empowering, but it can be really tough when you are there, you know, rewarding them and loving on them when they win and mm-hmm. kind of not loving them quite as much when they're not, which yeah. it's hard to say that, but let's face it, sometimes... We all have done that, perhaps. So, so incredibly powerful. I I just have so many questions that I want to ask you with your clients. So if Mm -hmm. I didn't say earlier, Heather is a speaker, an author, which I want to talk about your book as well, and a personal development coach. What would you say if you had your, the client, the typical client problem that they come to you with? What what would be the biggest problem that you see most of the time?
1: Um, so people come with me with, I don't even think there's a typical goal that people come to me with having. Um, but I would say that the majority of the issues preventing people from either pursuing those things that they want or even kind of getting stuck in the way, they're kind of at slightly different phases depending on where they are in that, in that pursuit. Some it's preventing them from starting, for some it's kind of preventing them from, from wanting to take on that challenge of whatever kind of has stepped in their way along the way. And I guess the biggest thing is probably the, the kind of people pleasing place that we've put ourselves in in terms of or the not wanting that rejection piece so living within the expectations and the opinions and values of other people and not respecting our own enough not even necessarily respecting but sometimes not even being able to identify what we want because we've been living underneath the expectations and the opinions and values of other people for so long Um, and so that's where that feeling of, I just feel unfulfilled, but not really being able to identify what it is. It's because you haven't been like all of these things you're doing are not, yeah, you you might have an outwardly very successful life and to other people, maybe a dream life. Oh, like a, oh my gosh, you have a perfect, perfect family, perfect house, perfect job, perfect, whatever, but that job might have been something their parents had kind of wanted them to take on. And so because they don't feel fulfilled in their work, things are slipping at home, or this whole house thing is they never actually really intentionally thought about where they wanted to live, but that's the kind of neighborhood they grew up in. And that's that's just what you did. And that, and by owning your house it meant you had achieved a certain level of success. Whereas really she'd rather be renting and traveling and moving with her family and living somewhere else for part of the year or do like a lot of it is just because of how we have defined ourselves we have without sometimes even knowing it we've put ourselves in these boxes and even the choices that we've made choices that we still often make we feel like we're choosing we have this autonomy we're making these choices but we're really making those choices within the boundaries of our direct environments and our direct exposures and there's a world out there of, of different way different ways people live different jobs people have different ways of balancing relationships and it is just I think sometimes um, sometimes I feel like my gift to people is helping see things and helping them see things in a different way and it's almost just asking certain questions and helping them be like well I never would have thought about it that way well no like and often you don't because you're in it And so I really feel blessed that people kind of share our, are trust me enough with, with that to, to help them figure out what they're truly capable of. And that doesn't necessarily mean in terms of an accomplishment, it just means in terms of their life and, and happiness and fulfillment. And yeah, it's pretty fun.
0: Joy, love, fulfillment. I mean, my big thing is living fearlessly authentic. You know, when you live- in alignment with what matters most to you when you bring all of you into this game of Mm -hmm. life. That's when you can not only achieve, you know, the great things that you dream of, but you find that joy, that love, that fulfillment. And Mm -hmm. I think it takes oftentimes having a coach to, like you said, you're almost opening their eyes to certain things like, wow, yeah, I've got a great life. I've been really successful. But this wasn't really what I would have chosen. It's just what my family yeah. thought I would do. And I've been doing it. And and there's that moment that can be a painful moment when you kind of wake up to, wow, this isn't really the story I wanted to live. It's great, mm-hmm. but it's not the story I wanted to live. And there's a little bit of a, a pain in that moment where you realize, well, what do I want? What story in life do I want to no. live? So, no. Some people, I feel, resist that pain. They don't want to know. But I think that it's so important to say, it may be painful for a moment, but then what you get beyond that, you know, being able to think about what you really want and what story you Mm want to live, like that freedom, that liberation, kind of like what you did. and. This is why I love having you here so much, I mean, for a number of reasons, but because you are an example for people that no matter what age you are, even if you're 65, it's never too late to do things differently.
1: It's not. My last Olympic Games, I was 39 years old and it was, I've had two hip surgeries in the meantime. Now, what were your hip surgeries Um,
0: and why did you need hip surgeries?
1: Yeah. My labral, like I had labral tears in my hips and they also discovered I had bone spurs that had to be shaved off. And they also discovered that my hip sockets uh, were rotated so that they were kind of facing backwards a little bit. So what's strange is that I used to run, I used to joke saying that I ran like the road runner, like my legs literally would kind of go out to the, my knees would kind of go out to the side and I would almost push. And so in track and field as a sprinter, when I got to university, my track coach was like, what? Like, how are you so fast when you look like that? Like you're <laughs> running, like it was, it was pretty, it's pretty great actually. Um, but I tried He goes, you have no knee drive. And I'm like, I tried. So I would be training knee drive, knee drive, knee drive, knee drive, knee drive, knee drive. And then he would say in a race, he'd say, forget all your training. When you get in a race, you just run, you just go as fast as you can. And as soon as I start running, knees would go to the side and I would just be pushing. So we didn't know this we didn't find out until i had this hip surgery that this the surgeon said you do know do you did, did anyone ever tell you that your ass so the socket like hip and socket joint instead of going like this with your right leg kind of flexing forward it was like this so my leg would go up like this and want to turn this way and then push backwards and it was um yeah it was so they shaped off a little bit not I said, I don't want to change my biomechanics. Like, even though if this had been done years ago, great shave off the whole front. Amazing. I'd have way more force and power, but I was just like, I I can't retrain my biomechanics in a matter of months for, you know, so I said, shave off just a little bit because I'd worn away all the cartilage on the front by trying so hard to have knee drive. I basically wore away the cartilage. So There was, uh, there were some challenges associated with that, but it was, I had one hip done right before the Sochi Olympics. So nine months before I had to qualify for that team. And then, um, and it was only six months before the rugby world cup, the sevens world cup in, in Moscow. So that was, that was a huge challenge. That was a a big one. Um, and then the other surgery I had, um, right after those Olympics the summer after, because I wasn't having pain in that hip yet. Yeah. but I was able to have it done relatively quickly after my pain because the surgeon saw how destroyed that hip also was and put me on the list for hip surgery already the next year. So that was fine. Um, but yeah, there've been some career threatening injuries for sure with my ankles. Um, one ankle destroyed it a couple of times and my hips and stuff, but. But everybody
0: listening, everybody listening, everybody listening, i athlete's, oh, I've got to have hip surgery, it's the end, it's the end of my career. No, it's not. It, it, whatever meaning, nothing has meaning until you give it meaning. And if you're going to call it the end, it'll be the end. But mm-hmm. look what Heather's done. So nothing is impossible. Now, Heather, if there were one, two, or three things, like golden nuggets of advice, and you've already given them, but the things most important to you that you would like to share with our listeners, what would they be? Three most important things in living your best life.
1: Um, I would have to say question your assumptions. Yes. Um, As soon as you have that voice in your head that's saying, no, I can't, or it's not going to work or whatever, blah, blah, blah ask yourself, are you sure? Yes. Are you sure? And not just, yeah, of course I'm sure. No. Are you, did you check? Have you challenged that? Because unless you actually have a belief, is not a fact. A belief is something that we have grown up or acquired in, in, in putting a lot of weight to a belief that we have put a lot of weight on, but that is not actually a fact. So until you test that or check or you know, look it up or whatever the, are you sure the says who the, why not? Those are the three questions that you need to challenge those things. Like that, that like right now, if I just said, what, if you could do anything right now, well, like, what would be the next thing you'd want to tell? And right now that thing that you're pushing to the back of your brain, Cause you don't want to acknowledge it because you think it sounds so silly because it sounds so like You wouldn't even want to, you're like, Oh, it's ba- been back there so long. It's gathering dust, that thing. Like that is the thing that you need to start saying. Yeah. It says who, who, who says that you're too old to do that? Are you sure? Like, are you, are you sure? Like, those are the questions that I just want people to, to start automatically saying, or if they're saying, well, I can't do that either saying challenging yourself saying are you sure or adding the word yet to the end of everything yeah. well i can't do that yet or right now or at least qualifying that statement instead of making it so finite and instead of shutting down all possibilities yeah. i mean when you pursue any type any type of goal there are no guarantees there are no guarantees in anything there are no guarantees in sport in life or in business but pursuing the possibilities is what allows us to challenge our, perce- our, our preconceived notions and our preconceived boundaries and our the boundaries that society has has set for us. Like that's the only way that we can test those things. There was, I mean, nobody ran a four minute mile. They all thought it was impossible until Roger Bannister did it in 1954. We need to start getting excited and just trying to challenge those boundaries. So that is what I. I don't even know if I said three. I just kind oh, of rambled. That was just brilliant. I, really I, I
0: took notes. <laughs> brilliant. Brilliant. I, I took notes here. Tell us about your book. You have an amazing book out. I think everybody needs to go out and and buy it. But please tell us, because you kind of just brought up this whole you know, possibility.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. So my book is called Redefining Realistic. Um, and there, it's a three-part book. The first part is, um, shift your perspective. Second part is seize your potential. And the third part is own your story. So it is a book that, um, was probably one of with. I mean, I have two Olympic gold medals, but writing that book was probably one of the hardest things I've ever done. Um, it was because I didn't want to write an autobiography. I wanted to help people with my messaging, but I also knew that by pulling in different anecdotes, self-lived experiences of things, it would help kind of shed light on certain situations so that's how I did it and it was um I'm pretty I'm pretty pleased with it It, uh it's and I'm not pleased with necessarily how the book turned out I'm pleased because of some of the messages I've received from people who've read it that is the most rewarding thing ever when someone has either heard me speak I just got a message recently from someone uh, a physician uh who heard me speak at a national, um, conference for emergency physicians, emergency doctors. And, uh, it was this big national conference. He heard me speak. He bought my book. I think we had a little conversation while I was there. I saw, you know, I signed the book for him and he went and I just, and that was probably thought fa- it was pre COVID. So probably 2019, maybe actually probably 2019, 18 or 19. And, I just received an email from him about a month ago saying that he didn't know how to swim, but he decided to enter into a triathlon, a senior's triathlon. And so he had to learn how to swim. And there was this team event that they did and they were, had divvied up all these things. And he said, and now they just won some massive thing and now they're going on to this other thing. And he said, it was all, he said, he credits it to reading my book and just shifting that perspective. Cause what does it matter if you like, taking on a challenge, there's, there's no repercussions unless you put negative repercussions on there. So anyway, it was was honestly receiving messages like that have been the, the biggest reward, um, of me even going to the Olympics. Like the, the best thing about going to those Olympics has that was that it afforded me a platform from which I can now empower other people But receiving that kind of feedback, it just is, um, yeah, it's, it's pretty great.
0: Uh, I hear you. I hear you on that. So redefining realistic, everybody redefining go out. Realistic. And Heather, yeah, it comes
1: on of- my website. if it comes through my website, I try, I sign those before they get sent out. Yeah.
0: So, yeah. Okay. So Heather, how can people continue to follow you, reach out to you? What's, what's the best platform?
1: Yeah. So if people want like a hardcover, my book is a hard cover. Um, you can get a soft cover on Amazon. Um, but the hard cover especially as a gift because there's their colored photos in the end and all that stuff then I can personalize it uh those are pretty great go directly to my website heathermoist.com if you forget my last name just google heather bobsleigh canada and you'll you'll get the answer Heather heathermoist dot com um it's also audible like in an audiobook so if people prefer that which I actually kind of prefer too so I did an audiobook and and did the whole narration myself which was really great Um, but to keep in contact with me just to stay connected with with me and probably just on Instagram a little bit of Twitter but mostly Instagram and Facebook and it's just at Heather Moise. so pretty easy to follow and pretty easy to connect with so yeah it's been really really great
0: Well, thank you so much. I personally will be going on your website and buying a book today. (laughs) I hope everyone else follows suit. But Heather, you've been just such a gift uh, to me and to everyone listening. So thank you so much. And just continue to shine your beautiful light on this world through your speaking, through your books, through your coaching, and just through being you. You're an incredible example for all of us of what's possible in our own lives. So thank you for the gift of you.
1: Oh, Siri, thank you so much. And thank you for having me.
0: We'll see you again. I'm gonna have you back. Thank you so much. Perfect. Thank you, Heather. Thank you for listening and sharing this precious time with me. Please remember to subscribe and to leave me a review, you can find me on Instagram at Siri Lindley, Facebook, Siri Lindley, and Twitter at Celt, S-E-L-T-S. You can also reach me via email at info at Have an amazing day and shine on.